Hey there, listeners. Welcome to This Humana Life, a podcast for all Humana associates. We have amazing stories to tell and learning experiences to offer. We also believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insights into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible with the support of the Women's Network Resource Group and by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. I'm Brittany LaMere. And this podcast is produced by Melissa Nichols. We're looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Join the conversation in our buzz group by visiting go forward slash THL. Also, make sure to text the acronym THL to 239-355 to have new episodes sent straight to your mobile Thursday morning. We certainly want to thank you for being here with Brittany, Tara, and myself on the this Humana Life podcast series. And you are the diversity and inclusion lead. That's, That's right. One. Is that right? Yeah, okay. diversity and inclusion lead okay. for the IT organization. That is right. Well, I wanted to say that correct. Okay. Letitia Schmidt. How did you get interested in this type of work? My uh, background is in education, mm. and so when you say this type of work, it's like my Humana life is such a big story. I've been here almost 16 years, and to look at where I started and the experiences and opportunities and mm. things that I've learned since I've been here, just a huge part of who I am now. But I started my career in technology, and before coming to Humana, I had the opportunity to work at a, a couple of small companies and also um, be a Microsoft certified trainer and Microsoft certified solution developer um, outside of just coding, I started teaching. And so Mm. I love helping people to be more automated in their work, how to do um, their work more efficiently using technology products. Because when I came out of college, not everyone had a computer on their desk. It was a new thing whenever we got to introduce having a mouse, um, you know, to interact with your system. And so a lot of my background um, was in um, teaching others to use their computer because my degree is actually in business education and computer science. Mm. And so My journey um, kind of brought me to Humana through those different consulting experiences. But uh, a little known fact is that I was actually unemployed when I joined Humana. I had um, been in a small private company that was one of those... um, dot coms, I guess is what you would say during that time period. And we had such a small group and I was the last one hired. And my leader, who was the president and owner of the company, said to me one day, what, how much time do you need to know if we can no longer meet payroll? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm a a single person, um, thankfully, and independent at that point in time. And I said, can you give me four weeks? And he said, sure. And so I went on vacation with some friends, came back, and he was like, hey, I've got your four weeks, and we're ready, you know, to um, let you know that we can't meet payroll next month, and we have a decision that we need you to make. And I just kept coming into work and doing my work. And finally, I was in the process of buying a house. And he came to me finally and said, you know, that house is going to look great when you put it on the market to sell because I was so invested in just making all of these things work. And he said, "Uh, you don't need to come into the office anymore. We're going to pay you for the next four weeks. You know, he was still committed to covering me. 
thing, um, but you need to be looking for a job. And uh, that was just a funny um, moment in my life when I look back on that and think I, I lived a lot in belief and things will just work out. And so I really poured my heart and soul into re modeling and finishing this house on my own and thankfully met my husband during that time period who had some handy skills and so some money that I would have spent remodeling um, my husband ended up fixing up the house my Mm. now husband and I told my mom at the time I said I'm gonna have to marry this guy or give him the house (laughs) I married him so (laughs) that's a great story that was really nice but um, so through my husband I actually met some co-workers at Humana and he shared my resume there were some openings for application engineer and I had the opportunity to come in and I started my career at Humana as a developer and working and supporting our HR finance systems and some really just awesome opportunities in that role in corporate web systems. And um, from there, just grew my network across the company, took advantage of all the resources that we have within Humana to learn and grow yourself. And I think where I am today is full on accumulation of all of those experiences Mm -hmm. that I've had. So do you code? Today? Um, or you have coded? I have coded in the past. You okay. are still using systems at Humana that didn't get killed by Workday that I created. Yes. Really? Yes. Interesting. And, um, most of the things that I it means took, you're really smart. Oh, I don't know. Just about so that. you know, <laughs> but most of the things that I coded um, it, it, at that point in time and led a team of developers who did code um, those solutions were killed in the Workday transition. So I, I, I try not to be personally affected by that, but think, hey, we just help the business and the IT organization Mm -hmm. set up and prepare for a new way of working. Um, Today, my coding is limited to supporting the website for my neighborhood. Uh, You know, there are things (laughs) that I dabble in um, because it's something I can do. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I find myself in that um, niche of, oh, I can do it. I'll just go do it. And and there are times where I have to say, no, I'll find someone who will do that. You don't want to lose that skill. Oh, I've lost the skill. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the skill's not there anymore. Um, I can talk the language. I can, you know, Mm. lead um, projects and experiences at this point Mm. and interact. And I I love it. You know, my background in that, that technical role grew into management in about four years. And I led the corporate web team for four years. And that role and that space is so awesome because I learned so many business rules that support our HR systems and the way we do work. So all of those things that I was implementing in the corporate web systems team gave me the opportunity to learn the HR systems and finance and some of the rules that we use behind the scenes. But it, it, it combined the opportunity to work with vendors and implement vended systems that I think those um, things in my career will never go away. And I've had an identity crisis over the past three years. <laughs> Just about, um, I'm, I consider myself a tech girl. I've been in technology my entire career and you know in a male-dominated field and and really working hard um, to show up be seen and and to do the work in in the way that it's expected to be performed Um, but about three and a half years ago I had this opportunity to step into the role that I'm in now and it was really a critical or pivotal point I guess in my life I had to have that conversation with my husband that we were getting ready to go through an acquisition within the company and I had applied for a job that was completely outside of my comfort zone in this mm-hmm. IND role within IT. And um, 
you know, I, I finally convinced him and myself that I could leave the company if I were asked to leave the company and find something that aligned to my previous 20 years of experience. But um, to really step step out and grow, I would need to do that at Humana. And so in this space, in the IND role in IT, um, I love leadership development. I love growing others. That was something that just came out in my management style, even in corporate systems and leading the IT process and audit team here. I just think there's so much um, that you can kind of draw out of other people and connect mm-hmm. with and so and and help them to realize their potential. I think that's one of the most um, gratifying attributes of being a leader is to help someone realize their potential and how they can apply that in the bigger humana picture. And so knowing that I I could keep doing what I'm doing or I could take this um, role and take this journey and really grow myself and get experience that would help me further my career. And I had no idea um, how much of an impact that would have on my life, my well-being, and my purpose. Mm-hmm. And so um, just stepping outside of my own comfort zone. That fires me up so mm-hmm. much. It's so exciting. And you have done some tremendous work. And, and w- one of the things we wanted to highlight was the award that you just won, the 2018 Mitzi Solomon Memorial Award. Um, and that's areas of attitude and achievement and doing the right thing in the right way at the right time and making a difference and serving with humility. So can you share more about what these, you know, what the award meant to you personally and just that experience and and how we're just congratulations. Well, thank you so much. Um, That's a hard one for me to talk about. Um, It was a hard acceptance being nominated into that process because it's been such a meaningful award. Um, through the years. And when I was hired, I was hired into Mitzi's organization. Um, she was the, the leader of corporate systems, and we all kind of rolled into her and a couple of other orgs at the same time. And she was a significant leader in so many people's lives that to know that um, Humana and our IT leaders have continued to honor her through giving this award is absolutely amazing. And if you look at the tenets of, you know, serving with humility, um, it, it was one of those things that upon being nominated, I was in denial that I should be qualified because I have had leadership roles in the past, but I, I met the criteria. Um, and then going into that award ceremony is such a spectacular event where Brian LeClaire speaks about his experiences in working with Mitzi and some and her direct mm-hmm. leadership team is still at Humana and they all are on the selection process and it's such a meaningful experience and so um, it, it's probably one of the few moments that I've ever been speechless I think whenever they mm-hmm. give you the mic and you can share but it's such an honor to know Mitzi's um, legacy that she left and in different stories that people share some people were challenged by her in different ways you know and and then people like also to remember the ways that they influence her career and so just thinking about all those things and that we continue to honor her is so special for me um but knowing that within our organization they have continued to highlight the talent and opportunity for people to shine and show up is really special and uh, one of our um, directors actually nominated me for this award based on some work that we have done together for the summer works um, 
intern opportunity that we provide. So Humana brings 50 students in every summer from our local high school community and within IT. Um, the, we have been able to bring 25, and Scott Hubler has lead, led that. He is the director over our um, IT end user experience team, and he started off with seven, and whenever I found out that it was a, a program that we could get involved with, um, then I reached out to him and said, hey, how can we grow this? Because if we could um, bring in more students and, and we have been able to really just take that and, and grow that opportunity, I love it because it's an opportunity for kids in our community to be connected to the resources we have at Humana. And if you hear me speak um, in any session that I'm talking about, I love the resources that we have at our fingertips for learning and networking and connecting. And I think every single associate should be taking advantage of those resources. And for us to be able to share those with some disadvantaged students in our communities who may not have parents who work in corporate environment or who may mm -hmm. not know how to get into school or how to um, reach or achieve a career that they've never known anyone to be in is really important. And so um, we will have again this summer 25 students and it happens because mm -hmm. of the IT leaders who are willing to take those students in their teams and grow them. So. Well, speaking about those wonderful resources, so you help with the Women in Technology chapter of, of the WNRG, and I know that you all volunteer some time and help dedicate that towards schools and uh, Girls Can Code. And Can you share more about that, that side of the business and some of the efforts that are going on in, in that area? Absolutely. And so when we stood up the Women in Tech group, we started off with um, four pillars, and our really most popular one has been the Inspire pillar around how do we increase the um, aspirations of students because we know that the, the numbers have declined over the years. It's fascinating to think that in the 80s our women in tech numbers were up over 35 percent and since then coming into you know the 90s and into the workforce today we have declined down to uh, around 18 percent of women mm -hmm. in in the tech studies in different colleges and universities and so um, one appeal that we thought is we could start reaching out to schools and encouraging them because so many times when you have career days or engineering days there's just not an opportunity for you to see other women in tech and to see someone who looks like you who does the job and so it's been fascinating to see as we've created connections in our local communities and even at schools in other markets um, if we have women in tech members who want to go and engage in a school there then we've encouraged that um, it has created such a fascinating um, I don't backlash, I guess is the word, or impact internally. Movement. Movement because <laughs> when I was growing up in my tech career, it was not cool to be different. It was everyone who got rewarded looked the same. They had similar styles, similar, similar um, come from similar backgrounds, or they have a certain look or um Profile. Maybe a certain school. Or mm -hmm. school sometimes, mm -hmm. yeah. They have a certain profile. Mm -hmm. And so even going into women in initiatives in the corporate environment like we have here, being in technology felt a little different because I was always surrounded by um, – males. And so whenever you think about working in a male-dominated industry, the way you show up as a woman can be different. And there's also studies that show that there are times that women who rise to the top in a male-dominated industry, not just in tech, don't always lift others up behind them because they think, I earned my spot here, okay. you can as well. So what I had discovered is that coming into some of our um, women in leadership 
organizations um, within the corporate environment, not everyone was having a similar experience um, that I was. And I think there's more that we could do with women in tech and how do you show up in this field. And so by going out into the schools, talking and sharing our stories, it created this amazing glow of pride in mm. our women who started owning their stories because they could go out into the environment into the community and tell them but all of a sudden it was it was great to be a woman in tech and to be able to say I have strengths that will carry me forward and so um, whenever I did go through the women in leadership experience at Humana Bonnie St. John was here as our external um, partner in sharing and motivating and she talked about conforming and I will say that was probably a, a, one of the most significant moments in my life and my career was um, how we hide aspects of who we are when we come to work. And this was way before I even knew about um, working in the IND space. This was an opportunity that she, um, she said if we spend our energy hiding aspects of who we are and trying to be who we are not, then we give up those strengths that will carry us forward. And that, that just really struck me in a way that I know I can do these things, I can um, implement these systems, but, but if I'm not fully unleashing the energy of who I am, then it's a disservice to myself. And actually it's an added stress level. And so um, that's something that has really been proven to me in making the shift in my career and fulfilling. A lot of people say you're so passionate. Um, I would at some point like to be identified as being skillful in that measure. Mm -hmm. Um, I am passionate about it, but there's some mm -hmm. um, work that goes into how to mastermind and connect and share resources and bring things together. And I hope um, that other people can see that as well. Well, I, I would say you're there. I think I would say that you're skillful. I know I've, I've learned a lot from you just from doing little SharePoint site tweaks about learning about what's going on in the women in tech. And so I also thought it was very interesting whenever you were um, discussing, you know, how you kind of got to Humana. You mentioned like pulling, pulling wire and doing all that, working in server rooms. I came from healthcare IT uh, doing marketing, but I got to see all the work that our techs did. And if techs do so much, I really hope that everyone gives our, our tech team, if you ever call, you give them the credit and be patient with them because they're there to help you and that's all they're trying to do. <laughs> um, but I also kind of want to know if you were ever felt like you were treated differently in the workplace because you were a woman in a male-dominated department or? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, there are times that I have been um, in a Mo not in my workplace so much, but sometimes in customer, when I was in consulting and in customer interactions where um, sometimes the customer felt compelled to call out my gender in a meeting or to share jokes or inappropriate comments and then apologize um, to me. And so I, I don't know, I think most of, mostly if I think about my experience, um, within the IT culture that I've worked in, you know, there have been uncomfortable situations, but I've always, um, I think it's part of my upbringing that I dismiss behaviors. And that happened early in, in my life that my mother even taught me, you know, if something is 
feeling uncomfortable or wonky or weird about a situation, you remove yourself from that situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think I started my, my life and my career life in, in doing that. And so when those uncomfortable things or creepy things happened to me early, which I think happened to a lot of women in their careers, um, I was always surrounded by strong men who would say, hey, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a stalking incident, actually, in my fir- one of my very first employment um, engagements. And it was another coworker, and it was very uncomfortable, and I didn't know how to handle it, but I was very scared to even go to my car. And so one of the gentlemen that I worked with, he finally approached me, and he said, I've noticed this behavior. Is it making you uncomfortable, or, or do you know this person? And I said, it's making me uncomfortable, but I don't know what to do. And he stepped in. And so when I think about male allies, I think it's those men around us who recognize mm-hmm. opportunities that say, this isn't how someone else would be treated. I need to check this out. And he had the courage to come to me and find out I was in my early 20s. And he went immediately to HR and addressed the problem. I was still, I was fearful that day driving home. The person um, that had exhibited the behavior was let go from the company. And it was very uncomfortable for me because I was trying to figure out what have I done? What did I do wrong? But I I was even scared. to leave for that day. But whenever I think about being treated differently, it's just those uncomfortable situations where Mm -hmm. they think gender matters or it's a distraction. And so I would always try not to wear jewelry. I would try to dress a certain way so that I wouldn't stand out because you just want to not be seen. And and that's how I was conditioned. Um, Thankfully, you know, I had experiences throughout my 20s into my early 30s that helped me to be stronger and to be able to have my own voice to let people know. But it was those people around me who would say and check with me first, is this something that that you're comfortable with or not? And I would be like, no. And then it would give me courage to speak up on my own behalf and say, you know, I'm I'm not sure where you're going with this, but I would really like to share my perspective and just to have courage um, to do that. And I think, you know, for some women, um, Maybe, you know, I, I don't know, I got married and had two kids and, you know, and now I'm a working mom. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not that target audience, but I certainly think it's very hard for many women to start their careers and to be viewed as serious professionals when they're trying to make that transition into the workplace and and not combine um, personal and um, professional in that first environment is hard to decipher. Thank you for sharing that story. That was an impactful story, and and it's going to speak volumes to many. Yeah, I was just going to say it's pretty powerful, and it makes you kind of reflect on some of the situations, you know, that I can remember that I've been in and the fact that there was a lot of dismissing. Like, I feel like I did spend a lot of time just kind of dismissing, looking the other way, feeling uncomfortable and not wanting to bring attention and and how we need to do a better job. You know, when I think about my 13-year-old and the 16-year-old and the 12-year-old, <laughs> giving them a voice, empowering them, not not having them turn the other way so that when these situations arise, they know exactly what to do. And, you know, it's it's not a um, – it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing, an empowerment thing. And it's – I love that there was somebody that stepped in that was a male. I think mm-hmm. that's very significant because it's not all men. You know, and sometimes women can be very uh, – uh, what's the word? Like – overwhelming in the workplace. I mean, it's not always men, but, you know, finding those allies and encouraging people to stick up when something, you know, sounds or looks odd is so important. 
Can we um, dive into that just a little bit? Because when we start talking about courage and advocating for yourself, that's something that I have learned and I'm so passionate about now, Mm -hmm. even with my own children. And my boys are 7 and 12. And so, um, you know, their perspective, their lens in the world is so protected. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it really bothers me in thinking, you know, the experiences um, that they have. But... I try to give them immersive experiences so they can see the world through other people's lens and and to um, participate in different community events so that they can broaden their horizons. But it's one thing um, that you you talked about just advocating because it's so hard for us to advocate for ourselves and to really have a vision and be able to articulate to someone what we would like to have happen. And I talk to my boys about that all of the time because it's it's not always what we want to have happen. It's is there an inequality or inequity um, happening around you that you need to use your voice for. And and there are times that um, I would hope that my son would be that gentleman that approached me, right, and say, hey, are you doing okay? Were you uncomfortable? Is there something I can do to help? And so just trying to um, teach them. And I don't think that our school system actually helps young people to learn to be advocates for themselves. Because if you think about, and I'll speak from my personal experience, but with students in classrooms and teachers having to really set the expectation, then they, they, um, I would just love to create an opportunity for them to be able to defend a position with a person in authority in a respectful way. And I think we all need to learn how to do that. And it's not being argumentative. It's explaining why you made the choice Mm -hmm. you did and why you think that you should be given an opportunity or pursue a stretch assignment in a way that aligns to the vision and and where you thought you were headed so that they can level set those expectations. And, And my kids, my children are so fearful in having that conversation. They're like, no, mom, I could never, that would be disrespectful. And I don't want them to do it in a disrespectful way, but I absolutely want them to have those skills in their back pocket that say, there, there's something that we need to talk further about. Can I have permission? Right. So I think it comes a little later in life. I know the 16-year-old, for example, um, she's very timid. 13-year-old could sit down right now and have a conversation with all of us. The 16-year-old's a little bit more like that. She doesn't want to make waves. She'd rather just kind of take a quieter um, you know, stance on things. But she saw you know, something happening at school that didn't, she didn't like. The way a teacher was kind of correcting students was very aggressive and very overwhelming and k- kids were scared. And so we did a lot of talking about you know, what steps could you take? Well, I could talk directly to the teacher. I could go to the, you know, she, we encouraged her to come up with the solutions and she kind of mulled over it and thought about it. And then we talked about advocacy. What part do you want to play in this? You know, if if you feel that strongly that something's wrong, what do you want to do about it? And you know what she did? She ended up going to the guidance counselor in a very safe place saying, you know, here's my concerns. And also, I'm also concerned about retaliation. So please consider that piece too. I mean, I could cry. I was so proud of her. I I was going to say, I would be so proud because it's those moments that you try to help prepare them for. And whenever you see how they um, execute on that actually is really empowering for them as well. That just sounds like constructive communication to me, being able to stand up for yourself and do things in, in the right way. In, and a, in a respectful way, like we, right. said. Mm-hmm. Um, so awesome job parenting. It's like a parenting plus. My mom's a teacher, so I know that she would appreciate if any one of her students would, would stand yeah. up and, and advocate for themselves. So I think that's really powerful to teach your, your kiddos. So. Yeah. 
And it goes right back to the work you do and what you support here at Humana and uh, all the different culture work that you do and bringing those elements to the workplace and how do you reinforce that uh, to your teams and to the leadership and the folks you're around every day. Uh, So what is the other culture work that you do that um, helps support that in your space? I do um, lead culture and inclusion and diversity for the Mm -hmm. IT organization. And so our work in that space a few years ago started defining some characteristics that we thought were um, aligned to the, and a lot of our associates collectively created these characteristics, were aligned to the purpose and mission for our IT organization. And soon after, when they came out with the enterprise culture evolution, the the concepts were so spot on Mm -hmm. with the work that we had started. And I did have the opportunity to go through the culture facilitation um, certification process as one of the first 16 trainers, I guess, or facilitators in that space, and I absolutely love it. And so now I work with our culture connectors within IT, anyone who went through the culture um, workshop or who was already a culture lead. We do this through volunteerism and extra effort. Um, It's not a paid role for Mm -hmm. someone in our IT organization to contribute to culture. We want everyone to, but we have some associates who are extremely passionate and wanted to lead some of the initiatives. And so they had the opportunity to go through the culture workshop. And I lead those quarterly um, culture connector calls with them and just trying to see, um, it's just really important to me that we start to identify that culture doesn't happen in a workshop and then you do work in a team over here. I'm really trying to get to that point to where our IT project teams will start integrating these culture concepts into the way they do work. And we've had some success in that with a couple of our teams who have brought their business partners and their IT partners together to go through the culture concept experience. And that way, um, it's integrating those concepts into the deliverables that they have. And I think that's where we'll get the most um, outcome and, and results for some of that work is really putting it in um, our project work. And I think the impact is happening on the culture team in my organization and I was part of the culture evolution workshop as well and I do feel like things are changing. Things are things are happening in a positive way. I agree and that by um, their intentionality of taking the senior leaders through and just the the way they rolled it out has been very impactful Mm -hmm. and Um, I'll share an analogy that I've shared in private before, but, you know, some people felt excluded from the culture workshops when they were happening. And they're like, how can we have culture if everyone's not included? And I certainly agree with that. But I used an analogy in a conversation I was having that when your parents go for marriage counseling, they don't come back and say, hey, kids, I just learned that um, we should be eating dinner together more. So let's all sit at the table today. All of a sudden, as a child, you just realize, that we're all eating dinner together and our family is happy, right? Or, or working towards this level of happiness. And I, I guess I shouldn't compare Humana's leadership to parents and children, but my point being when people are going through a transformation like that, it starts within yourself. And I love that our senior leaders made that statement that said, hey, let's, let's all work on how we can contribute and be better ourselves, and then we're going to cast that shadow out to everyone else. And so I, I hope that no one would feel excluded by that 
that, but they understand that the cascade doesn't come in a PowerPoint. The cascade comes in identifying those people who are being role models in our organization, mm-hmm. who are living those values, values of being present, and they're giving great feedback, and they're starting to incorporate that in the way they do work, and we'll all start to benefit from that. And that's it for this episode, but the conversation isn't over. Make sure to catch part two next week. You can share with us on buzz at go forward slash THL. And don't forget to subscribe by texting THL to 239-355. We want to thank you for spending time with us this week. We can use our guiding behaviors and speak up with candor to share our Humana stories through this podcast. Let's keep the conversation going together about this Humana life. Until next time, be intentional. Stay curious. And inspire others.